Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Great. Hi. Today is a good day, isn't it? I feel like God's already been speaking to a lot of us about his perspective about how he sees things, even as we've just been singing together, which is good. So today, as Sandy said, we come to the end of our Joseph series. We've been looking at the story of Joseph as, yeah, Tim wanted like a, oh, <laughs> saw your face there. Um, We've been looking at the story of Joseph as we start our year of hope at Ivy. We always have a word for like the year of, and this year is the year of hope. And so we've been looking at where hope is in the story of Joseph and how he maintains hope through his pretty crappy circumstances. And today we get to chapter 50, which is good because it's a brilliant chapter and it's it sums up, like any brilliant final chapter, it sums up kind of what we've learned so far, like where Joseph has got to in his life and who he is as he ends his life. So, what do we know so far? Who, hands up if you've already heard one of the Joseph talks so far. Okay, most people. Hopefully you roughly know the story of Joseph if you haven't been here because I'm not going to go through it again, otherwise I'll spend half my time going through the story. But it does help to have some of the wider context so that we can see more of the significance and beauty of the story of Joseph in context. And actually, Joseph's story starts with Abraham. So Abraham wasn't a Jew, he was, and he wasn't part of the nation of Israel because that didn't exist yet. So he's just a guy who is faithful to God. God makes this promise to him, you, I will make a great nation out of you. Through that nation, all the nations in the earth will be blessed. You'll have land. At this time, Abraham doesn't have any kids. So this is like a big deal. Then eventually he has Isaac. Uh, Isaac is the son through whom all these, this nation will come. Isaac has Jacob, who then has these 12 sons, Joseph and his brothers, and they become the tribes of Israel later on. So this nation that God has spoken about. So in the story of Joseph, we start to see this promise being fulfilled, of like a nation forming, which is cool. So now Joseph started out life pretty well. He was his dad's favorite, and he got good presents, like a cool coat, and he had great dreams that he was gonna be glorified even over and above his brothers, which is a big deal. It was normally the oldest one that got all the glory and all the treats. Uh, but then one day, things start to go, start to change, really, for Joseph. His brothers plot against him, they decide they've had enough, and they plot to kill him. But because they're feeling kind that day, instead they sell him into slavery. And so this new journey begins for Joseph, one that he wasn't expecting, where he's been rejected by his family. He's been cast out. He's going to a foreign land that he didn't want to go to. And he's on his own. Probably it feels pretty unfair for him as well. And yet something extraordinary happened in Joseph's heart in this time. He goes from being rejected and mistreated by his own family to being in slavery, to being mistreated and wrongly thrown in prison when he's in slavery, to being forgotten in prison when he's kind to people there. 
And eventually, but in all this time, Joseph becomes more gracious. He becomes more kind. He becomes more free. And that's what we'll see in this chapter, in this conversation he has with his brothers. Somehow Joseph is transformed in this time. He doesn't transmit his pain. He doesn't sit in it. He doesn't let it destroy him. He's transformed by it. And that is the invitation of God for us, that there's another way for us, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what, our, what we're living, that we don't have to be destroyed by our circumstances. We can be transformed by them. So even when Joseph's brothers see him later down the line, they don't, rec- they don't even recognize him and they definitely don't understand his attitude and his forgiveness. So how did Joseph manage to do this differently? How did he manage to end his life with the perspective that we'll see quite starkly in a minute? Um, well, just to set the scene, there is a double layer to this story. There is the circumstances of Joseph's life and what's going on. And there is God's perspective on those events and what he is doing, what he, where he is at work in those things. So Joseph was aware of this double layer, clearly. That's like his secret. He saw what was going on in his life, obviously, because he was living it. But he also saw God's perspective and where God was at work. Uh, and this goes on through all of Genesis. And as you read the Old Testament, there's lots of terrible situations. But we get to see God's perspective in those from the way that they're written. And this goes on in our lives too. There's a double-layered story going on at all times. Uh, So as I unpack what this looked like for Joseph, I hope that will help us to understand as well the double layer, especially the second layer of God's perspective and where he is at work in our lives, even where that's not obvious. So, yes, we're going to explore some of these secrets of life that Joseph learned in chapter 50. Now, Hopefully this will be on the screen, but open your Bibles to chapter 50. If you have them, if it helps you to follow along. I'm actually going to just story tell the beginning bit so you don't have to follow this so much. And then we'll read from verse 15. So first, Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, has just spoken a blessing over all the brothers, and which Sam spoke about last week. He's spoken all these words of the nations that they're going to, the tribes that they're going to become, I mean, over them before he died. Then he dies and Joseph throws himself on his, his father's body and he weeps. And the Egyptians mummified him uh, as they do because they're in Egypt. But actually this was like, it's partly practical because he wanted them to take him to the land of Canaan, his homeland, also the promised land to be buried there. And also it was like a sign of honor. Only the elite in Egypt were mummified. So this happens for 40 days, then they all mourn for 70 days, which I think we have a lot to learn from as well about stopping and mourning in our culture. But then Joseph had to ask Pharaoh's permission so that they could take his dad back to Cain and take his body back to be buried. This, from what I can gather, is about 5,300 miles on the most direct route. So it would have taken them about a year round trip from what I can gather. So he went with all his family and his brother's families, as well as Pharaoh's officials and all the senior members of Pharaoh's household. So it says a great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph. So this was a big deal. This is like a moment of, look how far we've come. Joseph was sold into slavery and yet somehow his family's been elevated there in this place of honor. Jacob thought he was gonna die bereaved and alone. He says that a couple times in the story. And here he is being honored in his death and with all of his sons around him. 
So they arrive at Atad, which is the entrance to Canaan, and they have this solemn service. They mourn for seven days again for this service. So Jacob died. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to Canaan, buried him there in the tomb that Abraham had bought for his descendants. So again, we see that promise of God um, through this line of descendants. And they all started to make their way home back to Egypt. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for the wrong that we did to him, they said. So they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive us, forgive your brothers for the wrong, way, the wrong that they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of, your, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves. It's all we deserve, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? What you intended for harm, God intended, God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. So we're, there's an end bit, which is brilliant as well, and we'll get to that at the end. But let's just start with this little conversation. And you see that Joseph had the perspective of God over his situations and over his life. Something that gave him the freedom to forgive, the freedom to speak kindly to his brothers. Freedom to love and to hope. But what exactly, does, what, what exactly is the difference that God's perspective makes in our lives? What can we learn from Joseph? The first thing that I noticed is this first line where Joseph's like, am I God that I can punish you? Something in God's perspective brings grace instead of judgment. So Joseph's brothers came to him thinking as the world thinks. They're, they assumed he would be angry. They assumed he would want his revenge, especially now that their dad's out of the way. So he's, there's, there's no buffer there. People do that, don't they? Like, you should be angry at him. You should be angry at her. You should do this. That would teach her. Have you planned what you're going to say to him when you see him? His brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. We're your slaves. That's all we deserve. So here Joseph has his moment, and he's had a few of them where he's had all of the power, basically. And yet what comes out of his mouth is not the perspective of the world, but the perspective of God. He surprises them by seeing it all totally differently. Am I God that I can punish you? No, I'm going to continue to look after you. So he recognizes God's what is God's place and what is his place. God is judge and I am not. God's place, and other translations will say, am I in the place of God? God's place is to bring about justice. That is not my place. However big, however small, the wrong done against me, I am not the judge. It's not my place. Now, I know this is hard, but we see the freedom in that already, don't we? Like, God is God, 
And so I'm free to be a brother in this situation. I'm free to forgive you and, and to heal. And he's free to free them from their guilt as well. Um, now I've wrestled with this recently, um, just being frustrated with someone who seems to act unfairly and get their way a lot of the time. You know those people, you're like, damn it, I've got to bring... Someone has to bring them down a peg or two. That's all feeling. And yet I have found, even in that little situation, like the only way that I can be free in that is to decide to not be the judge. I can't be the judge. I'm only fighting against something that is never going to shift. Um, and really, do we know what justice is? Could we achieve justice in our own strength? Can we be free that way? And we do feel like this is a right. We feel like we should be the ones to right the wrongs done to us. Like, and I guess even films say that, don't they? Partly it's a human instinct, but partly films will say that as well, won't they? Like someone's got to make the bad guy or the bad girl pay for what they've done. And actually, we can really easily do cruel things or say unkind things or just share a story that we didn't need to share because it's our right, you know? And so, for, but from Joseph, we see that in all his years, sitting in prison and in slavery, instead of stewing in anger, clearly there's been something else going on. He's been getting to know God. He's been learning God's character and God's ways on the good days and on the bad days, in promotion and in prison, he's been inviting God to do life with him. So when he's pressed and he's in mourning, and in this situation he's stressed, he's pressed, he's in mourning, still what comes out is the perspective of God. And I can't get away from the parallels of this story with um, the prodigal son. His brothers come to him. We are your slaves, literally the same as this son who's taken his inheritance from his dad before his dad's even died he comes back like let me at least be your servant I don't deserve anything and he's desperate but he's expecting rejection and yet instead he receives grace upon grace and love that he didn't deserve Jacob well Joseph knew this character of God he knew that that's who God was and because he was he, because in humility he laid down his right to judge and let God be the judge, he was able then to live in grace and be free in that. So there is no life in trying to be the judge or avenge ourselves. There's only life in seeking God's perspective and his ways. So Joseph knew that and, and that's what we see coming out of his mouth in this situation, he was able to forgive fully. And then to see where God was at work in the situation. So this is our, the second thing I noticed about God's perspective is that it reveals the good and the plans of God. Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So Joseph not only laid down his judgment, here he lays down his victimhood. <laughs> this is huge for us in our culture. Victimhood is rife and we love it. We love to have at least one victim card to play when we need it or to hold against people or to hold between us and them sometimes like a protection or just as an excuse. 
Uh, but I am this, but I'm not from here, but I don't have this, but I had this happen to me. Sometimes it's subtle. But because of his godly perspective, partly Joseph didn't need that. Partly, he didn't confuse the actions of people with the actions of God. So the truth is that God is bigger than people, that he can work for us even whilst people are working against us. That crappy situations don't mean that God has crappy things for us. Difficult times do not mean that God has forgotten us, that he's not with us, and that he's not at work. Now, I know this is difficult um, to actually live and to get our heads around. Sometimes it's subtle things that help shifts in perspective. I also know that this line can be used in many a well-meaning Christian advice situation <laughs> where you're trying to be like, God intended it all for good. Like your mom has cancer, but God has good. It's like, ah. And, and yet... God invites us to see his perspective, okay? So this isn't a patronizing thing. This isn't, this isn't a terrible situation. God at no point would have said to Joseph, it's fine that you're in slavery, I love that. Do you know? <laughs> and yet he's saying, let me show you something else. Let me show you what I'm doing because in it you will find life and you'll find freedom. Do you see what I mean? So sometimes... Actually, we can only access that perspective ourselves as much as we want to fast forward someone's journey and be like, look, it's all fine. <laughs> uh, we have to humble ourselves to see these things. So, this, but this reminded me of a remarkable story I read about Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. Has anyone heard of them? So this is a Christian family who, um, I can't remember what country they lived in, which is bad, but they were in the second, Holland, thank you, uh, in the Second World War. And they hid Jews in their family home to try and save them. Uh, one day they, get, they got caught and like most of the family went to different concentration camps. Betsy and Corrie got to stick together. They're in the same one. And this little extract I'm going to read just really stuck out to me. Uh, as an amazing kind of more modern example of what is going on for Joseph and how he's able to see what God is up to. So they've just been transferred to a new concentration camp there in Ravensbrück. And I'm going to read this. This is Corrie writing. She says this. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Here and here another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realise that she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corrie, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning. Where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight. Then I drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in First Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving home. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Seemed written expressly for Ravensbrook. 
Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corrie. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. Oh yes, Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy, thank you for the very crowding in here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corrie, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for the fleas. This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between the tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. They held, so these girls held services in their room each night. They gathered around one light bulb at the back of the room. It said they were services like no others these times in Barracks 28. And they got bolder and bolder with it because no guards came to their room. Uh, so, and so, so many people wanted to join that they now had two services. They started, they multiplied, <laughs> had a second service after evening roll call. Uh, and everywhere else in this concentration camp, they were under really strict surveillance, but not in their room. They didn't understand it until, and this is Corrie again, one evening I got back to the barracks late from a wood-gathering foray outside the walls. Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, oh wait, you know we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I've found out. That afternoon, she said there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy couldn't keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas, that's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head. I remembered her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. Now that's a pretty extreme example of seeing God's perspective. And yet it paints a picture of us, for us, doesn't it, of the life that is in God that is nowhere else. And it's not dependent on circumstances. And it's so simple what they do. It's a simple instruction from the Bible. I would love to see God at work the way that these girls do. I would love to be able to see God at work in even the crappiest of situations. God has been challenging me on this the last couple of weeks. I was, we were on holiday a couple of weeks ago and I was grumpy basically, like <laughs> um, just getting frustrated with my family really easily and like not understanding why because I was like, I want to enjoy this. Um, 
But then as God challenged me, I started just to be grateful, uh, to just literally take time in each thing, thanking God in my mind, saying little prayers of thanks for the little things. And I've had a pretty exhausting time of work since, but I've taken this with me into work and honestly it's made such a difference. It's allowed me to see the goodness of God in so many things that would have exhausted me and actually a lot of situations where I would have moaned and played the victim. This is where there is true joy regardless of circumstance and true freedom as we saw in Joseph's forgiveness sentence before. There is no life in thinking that we are victims or that we're entitled. There is life only in seeking God's perspective. So God's perspective allows us to act with grace instead of judgment and it allows us to see God at work that we can say, not even feel sorry for me, but you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Um, So there's just one more thing that I want to draw out of this really quickly. Um, I was in a prayer meeting on Wednesday. I found this picture really helpful. A girl had this picture of, so the Bible talks about um, how God elevates, lifts up the humble. And, uh, and I think this picture is really helpful for what's happening with Joseph here. So Joseph knelt down. Well, I guess he didn't, we don't know if he knelt down, but you get this sense that he's like, he's kneeling before God, giving him his own right to judge and avenge his situation, saying, your way, not mine. And God lifts him up. And as Joseph sought as well to see where God was at work and join in with that, God lifts him up again. So in this picture, it was like, it was kind of just helpful insight as to how this works. It's like kind of like the floor was lifted up for these people who were kneeling. And that's not in a sense of fame, of being elevated above others or of being better than others. This is in a sense of then these people can see something different then these people can see the perspective of God in the situations that are going on around them. There's a second level too. And this second level as this, as the ground kind of lifts one more level. And as we continue in humility, God continues to lift us up. This next level enables us to see further. So we are given further vision for the future vision for what God is up to and what he's doing. And we see this in Joseph as well, that he had this big vision of what God was doing in the nation of Israel and what the story that his life was part of. And God can give us that vision as he lifts us up as well. Uh, And that's the end of this verse, which I'll just really quickly read. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land that he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So... Here we see that Joseph also had big vision for the future. And actually he died as someone who believed in the promises of God, right? He lived this journey of faithfulness, like a deep and painful journey, learning the character of God until actually God was all that mattered to him and the promises of God. He saw further ahead than the people around him. He says, when God comes to help you and lead you back. And I love that. 
His final wish was an act of faith. He's like somehow even in limbo as he dies, relying on the promises of God. So I would want to write on his tombstone something like this. This man believed in God. Now we use that very loosely. But by that meaning, this man put the weight of his life behind believing the things that God said and seeing as God sees. That's where we want to be, isn't it? So Joseph ends his life with more hope than he began with, simply because he sought out the perspective of God instead of his own. And I don't know if we've got the Romans verse up there as well. I'm going to leave this uh, with you because I think it sums up really beautifully the secrets of life that Joseph had learned. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So this is our invitation today. It's our invitation for life to find this narrow and secret way where we can live with the perspective of God in all circumstances. As we are humble, as we're grateful and devoted to God, he will lift us up to allow us to see things his way. Um, so why don't you stand and I'll give us a chance to respond to this now. This is only for those who want it. <laughs> Do you want the perspective of God in your life? Where are you lacking that perspective? What situations come to mind? Maybe it is in grace and forgiveness. Maybe it is in seeing where God is at work. Maybe you just want that bigger vision to see ahead and see what God is doing. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.